0: The focus here is to help you find the strength and support to help you feel lighter, happier, more positive, and in a better frame of mind to face the inevitable challenges of your current journey.
1: Okay, so this week I'm talking to the beautiful Pfizer from Lighthouse Legal. Pfizer is a family lawyer who's been practicing for the last 15 years in family law, And the reason we wanted to get this discussion out now particularly is because there's a deadline coming up for the family courts in Australia, where if you want to have your parenting order seen by the court for Christmas, it needs to be submitted before November 10th. So this is a reminder for anybody who is going to need that in place to um, learn a little bit about what Pfizer's recommendations are here. And welcome Pfizer, so lovely to see you.
2: Thank you so much for having me on, Becca.
1: glad to be here today. Thanks. Um, So I will ask you a little bit about the deadline and and what's required. But before that, can we just take a step back and ask, what are parenting orders exactly? And how does that compare then with a consent order or a parenting plan?
2: Sure. So um, I'll probably go, I'll start with the second part of that question. Yeah, great. orders versus a plan um, so a plan is you know something that people can come up with between themselves usually in private sometimes through mediation or dispute resolution where they've had a chat and they've worked out what they think should be right and they come up with a document and they call it a parenting plan the key difference really is that a parenting uh, par- excuse me a parenting plan from a court perspective is not binding So it is relevant in terms of showing the party's intentions, what was the plan here, but there's no real binding effect to it. So very often the client will go off and get a parenting plan done through a mediator or a dispute resolution process. And then through the solicitors, we sort of strengthen it and make it into a court order. So court orders sort of, and I'm talking generally in the family court context, court orders kind of have two, there are two types of orders that I'm going to be talking about mostly but we have parenting orders, which is anything to do with children's arrangements and who looks after them, where they live, et cetera, et cetera. And the other one would be property orders. So we're not talking about those yeah, today, but also your financial settlements um, uh, to do with, you know, um, how are we are going to split the assets, et cetera. So okay. that part of your question in terms of how are parenting orders different to consent orders, the answer is they're not different at all. It's just a type of order you can get. So orders can be made either by a decision by a judge all by consent of the parties so where both people agree and they've signed off and agreeing to have this made into a formalized binding document endorsed by the court we call those consent orders and so so it's
1: possible to have a parenting plan just the two of you it's a very amicable split you've decided how the children are going to go back and forth to the different homes how they're going to spend holidays it's possible to have that and not worry about getting the court approval on it, isn't it? However, if one of those parents changes their mind or doesn't live up to that agreement, there's nothing that can be done about it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that's where I would start. So obviously, a parenting plan is a fantastic way to start. And not everybody needs to run to court and go to get orders, etc. In fact, the court very much encourages and likes people to come up with their own plan, you know, it's your family. And, um, you know, who is this third party to tell you how to live your life. So they very much encourage people to Sort this out for themselves. Think about what works for your kids and your family, and come up with a plan. And so, plans are always a great starting point in terms of this is what we're going to do. Everyone knows what the plan is, so that you can plan around it. You know, make arrangements for travel and so on based on the plan. Um, but yes, the the biggest difficulty with a parenting plan is that it's not enforceable. So, if Go one ahead. parent decides to stop. Following it, or they've changed their mind, or you know a change of circumstances has happened, and the other person is now refusing to um, agree that we need to change the plan. For instance, the plan then kind of falls apart or falls away, and that's where people then find themselves going to lawyers, trying to figure out what to do now that the plan has fallen away or fallen apart. And then it might be that you go to court for orders to give the plan an enforcing, binding effect. Um, consequences it. if you breach, for example.
1: So, I was going to ask who would normally require or come looking for a parenting order? Would yeah. would you say it's normally either they've had an agreement in place and that agreement isn't being adhered to, or is it where they just can't even come to an agreement at all? Both,
2: both, of, both. of those, as mm-hmm. well as the um, people who do come to see me, are those who have made up a plan but wanted to have some sort of teeth to it so that if right. there is a breach, there are consequences that can be met. So, it's often, I would say, to really formalise a plan to make it enforceable. You make it into a court order by consent. Um, But yes, often the clients who are seeing me, especially this time of the year, is because they couldn't reach an agreement themselves. There's no plan or there was a plan, but it's not being met. And so they're trying to find solutions around, well, what do I do now that the plan's not working?
1: Okay. So what does the court take into consideration then when making that order? You've said ideally a plan would be in place, which is what both parties want, It's not always going to be the case. So what else might they take into consideration?
2: So with the family court, the primary consideration is always, 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 what is best interest for this child? What's in their best interest? Um, And so what is in their best interest may not be what people would notionally consider fair or what they would think should be the way, but they look at it from the child's perspective so there are certain criteria that the family court um sorry that the legislation sets out when we take into consideration what is in the child's best interest and that generally with parenting arrangements involves them having a meaningful relationship with both their both parents, parents and then yeah. with their extended family as well the main um sort of consideration over and above that though is safety for this child so you of wouldn't course. want to up a parenting arrangement you know sort of banging on about this equal or not equal but a relationship with both parents when actually there's a a major safety concern in in between that that therefore it's not appropriate to be having um arrangements for both parents because there is a safety concern so that's where we start as a starting point and then working our way through that so what
0: about
1: the age of the children then does that factor in would there be different expectations of time with the parents based on their age
2: yeah, there is some of that. Um, there are definitely you know, social studies that have shown that you know children of a certain age are uh, perhaps more aligned or bonded to a particular parent. And so a significant time away from that parent would actually be detrimental to that child. Um, that is why very young children, we very seldom see overnight arrangements taking a very young child away from their primary carer. Um, yeah. It's just to do with their bonding and their own sense of security around their world. So we try to ensure that if if you've got a very young child, and I'm talking, you know, the toddler years. Baby, yeah. Um, yeah, babies and toddlers, you tend not to take them away from their primary care, often the mother, um, for more than, a, you know, more than a couple hours at a time and definitely not for nights at a stretch. So, yes, if you've got young, young children, um, you know, trying to go for sort of a 50-50 time arrangement where you've got Soon, a week and yeah. a week about, yeah, that's not likely to be actually in the child's best interest. It's more likely to cause distress. Um, But of course, sorry, go on. on, So I was going to say, of course, as the children get older, their coping mechanisms for stuff like that improve a lot, um, significantly, are better. So then it's not unreasonable for a 12 year old child to be doing a week here and a week there because they actually can manage it. They've got the communication skills to say if they're uncomfortable. Um, So the the age of the child is relevant as far as what would be appropriate and in their best interest, but it's definitely not, um, say, a guiding factor for all discussions. Again, it depends on power
1: sure and what age typically would the children be asked about their input
2: so this is a bit curly for me because i'm very big on um, keeping children out of the family court i don't think it's a place for them to be dragged into it they are already dealing with you know parents who have separated and their family unit not being maybe the traditional style of family unit um, so they're already dealing with a lot and I am very, very hesitant to draw children into the conflict by asking them what they want. It puts a lot of pressure on their shoulders Absolutely. To, be able to say, um, you know, and there's a lot of worry about saying the wrong thing and upsetting the wrong parents. So I'm very cautious about asking children what they would like. I'm much more, um, you'll find me often sort of pressing my clients to say, well, this is an adult decision and it needs to be made between the adults. So you might ask the child what they'd love to do over Christmas or what they'd hope to see. Um, And they might have their own ideas. They might be used to seeing grandma at Christmas for lunch or something like that. So that's a valuable um, input to have from them.
1: But, it's not but not telling them they get to decide. Absolutely. They don't get to
2: decide.
1: Yes. Yeah, I um, still do that with my children now, which is you know we're planning ahead for uh, might be thinking about Easter or planning for the Christmas holidays. Yeah. Um, you know what would you like to see? What What are you hoping yeah. to achieve? What would you like? But to it do? doesn't mean they get to decide. No, no. And
2: <laughs> I say this um, in my capacity as an independent children's lawyer. I do often interview children, and I will ask them, "What would you like mm. to see? What would you like to see happen?" Um, but I have to be very clear and say to them, "Well, that I appreciate you telling." what you'd like but I can't promise that's what's going to happen it's going to be a consideration so the court does take into consideration the views of a child particularly as they get older and I'm just talking 12 and up um, their their voice carries a lot more weight the older they are um, because the court's not going to make an order that's so opposed to what the child wishes particularly as they're getting into those preteen and teenage years um, children at that age are very susceptible to running away and if they are savvy enough mm-hmm. they will hop on a bus and leave so there's not much you can do to bind a child of that age um, into doing something they don't want to do a younger child is a lot easier you pick them up and you strap them in the car seat and off mm-hmm. you go so they don't really have a choice but older children um, we definitely would defer to their views a lot more but of again course, it's but an adult without decision. ever
1: promising them anything right you can't well, set them up it's with an adult expected. decision and it yeah. shouldn't
2: be a weight mm-hmm. on their shoulders
1: Agreed okay beautiful um what has surprised your clients most if anything about the decisions that are made relating to parenting orders?
2: I think a lot of it comes to do with this concept of fairness what is fair Um, and to be honest in the family court there's no such thing there's no um, baseline of fairness there's no such thing so I think often one of the challenges I have is sort of Um, setting those expectations right at the beginning that you know uh, especially with parents who may not be the custodial parent and they have this notion of well it's not fair that the other person has the christmas every um, holidays and i don't get to see them that's not fair that's not how it works so you have to obviously set those expectations right that you know there 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 must be reasons why this is not happening and these are obviously decisions and discussions that should be happening way up front um but I would just say to them you know keep plugging on keep trying don't give up with you know if you didn't get this year try again next year um but yes fairness is a sort of an arbitrary concept that I think is a big absolutely
1: it's so yeah. subjective isn't it what's exactly yeah, what's fair for one family or one individual is completely yeah. different I totally understand okay so people come with an expectation that they're going to have a fair decision made and yes it's just can't, you can't deliver against that because no, everybody's idea of fair is different. Yeah. Absolutely
2: right. Okay. <laughs>
1: um, so since that deadline, we spoke about the deadline being November the 10th, all right, yes. not, yeah, November the 10th, it's coming up. What do people need to know then about the paperwork that's required for those to take that step?
2: So if you're not already in court, and by that I mean you haven't actually got proceedings on foot, You need to start an application with the court so the document that we start any court proceedings with is in wa it's called a form one application for initiating orders and with that you would do an accompanying document called a case information affidavit so the form one document is where you set out what you're seeking uh, what orders you'd like i'd like to spend time with the children be as specific as you can and then the case information affidavit is sort of where you set up the story part of it the why why am I seeking these orders so then you'd explain a little bit about the history that you've either not had them or you've tried to have discussions and they were unfruitful and therefore that's why you're seeking these particular orders so those are your starting documents if you are already in court so there's actually a form one that you may have filed some time ago but you haven't been able to (coughs) come to any arrangements around Christmas and obviously now time is Of the essence, you'd be looking to file a Form 2 application in a case, and then that is supported by another document called an affidavit. And again, the Form 2 document is where you set out what orders you're seeking. So I want to spend time, be as specific as possible. And the affidavit sets up the story part, which explains why that hasn't happened, why you've not come to decisions, and why uh, what you're seeking and why you're seeking.
1: So any parenting plan that you had in place, any changes to the parenting plan, any you know person not delivering against it, all of that story would then go into the affidavit, yes. wouldn't it?
2: Absolutely, yes. Okay. And that's why I say it's relevant if you have had them before, because the court will take that into consideration if there was... A parenting plan in place, while it may not have been enforceable by itself, when you are now in the court and you show them that there was actually a parenting plan and this is what, what it was, the court does take that into consideration as to the orders that they make.
1: And what about history? Does that also, can, if you don't have a parenting plan, there isn't something in writing where the two of you had agreed that this was the way things had were going to happen. If there's um, a history that are the, the previous months, the previous years, does that substitute kind of a surrogate parenting plan or it's just?
2: Well, yeah, absolutely. Any, any yeah, in any area of law, um, the history is relevant because okay. that is why we have certain concerns is because historically this is what's happened. Um, so as much as I am big on telling people, look, let's go forward from here, let's draw a line in the sand and look forward, not live in the past, you have to, to a degree, consider the past because that is what has formed your concerns or your beliefs that you need to get these orders in place because there's no other way to get consent, Um, and it's because of past behaviors. So it is relevant, you do go down that road, Um, but I'm always, you know, trying to encourage people not to sort of get stuck there and ruminate on it too much because at the end of the day, you know, You've separated with this person, but you've still got children together. There's a long way to go. So you know, I try to So you can
1: contextualize, but yeah, don't dwell too much on that. Let's talk about what's the goal for the future.
2: Exactly. And you look at them more from a concern perspective. So if, if you had concerns about, let's say, um, you know, you might sort of term it as neglect, but actually that's coming from a place of well, you never really had the right car seats in place, for example. So yes, you are looking at the past, these are my concerns, and so the orders you're seeking is obviously um based on that concern but that can be addressed in a way to then go forward in terms of making it a productive outcome
1: yeah beautiful gosh Pfizer <laughs> it's really <laughs> really helpful I feel like this is probably the most specific podcast episode I've had yet <laughs> because in talking about you know experiences this is super super yes, narrow and specific. drilled down <laughs> exactly but the people who need to hear it kind of need to hear it right now yeah. um, especially if they don't have anything in in place for the Christmas holidays and in australia they're the long summer holidays yes. it's time so i want to ask you everything that i can so that people have this you know depth Absolutely. of narrow information right now so my my next question was around what impact do parenting orders have on child maintenance payments and what should people consider then um yeah well, what, what is the relationship there
2: well i was gonna well technically i would say there shouldn't be any um um correlation between them but obviously there is some Uh, generally when we are considering child support arrangements and parenting arrangements we do consider them as separate entities because child support sort of sits by itself and it sits outside of the family court I think some many years ago um, the court was inundated with applications about child support so an agency was set up and it was taken out of the hands of the family court so sometimes when we are looking at parenting orders um, it might feel like we're doing them in abstract because we're not thinking about the child support implications of it but I have found quite often in practice people have reservations or objections to making certain child uh, parenting orders because there is an impact on child support. So a child support agency at least um, calculates child support based on the number of nights that a child is with a parent and so yes when you do have parenting arrangements that then shift the number of nights and the other non-custodial parent now has overnight time with this child it then correspondingly reduces the amount of child support for the residential parent, so there is that correlation but with that said I am also very strongly of the view that that should not be the driving factor for not allowing time to be spent
1: Absolutely. again
2: with the child you know the paramount thing is for them to have a relationship with both parents where it's safe for them to do so and so put yourself in the child's shoes you know yes you might lose you know a few dollars you know tens of 20 maybe a hundred dollars over you know having a few nights like at- the Christmas holidays or during the long holidays with the other parent. But from the child's perspective, that time is golden, you know, and you can't, money can't buy that. So No, um, the
1: quality experiences yeah, and building those relationships. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And I'm sure that's an easy thing to say for people who are actually reliant on that money. My encouragement then would be to have those conversations with the other parent and say, look, I'd love for you to have the time. I am genuinely stressed and concerned about the financial impact on me. Is there something we can do to meet in the middle? Would you be be prepared to continue to just pay that difference and let me at least I can function and live um, and then you can have the time and you'd be surprised how many times that does actually work so when I do have male clients they're actually more than happy to pay the, the child support difference because the time with their child is a lot more valuable to them than that child support difference um, again not saying that's, that's so family, encouraging
1: to hear yeah that's yeah
2: definitely have that conversation you know even though it may feel awkward you might be surprised at the outcome
1: yeah and even if it is a high conflict situation you know we we don't want to invite additional conversations but this is one worth having so that you know you are protecting your finances and you are ensuring that the children get those experiences as well that's right yeah Okay. So what advice would you give to someone who's not been able to negotiate an agreeable parenting arrangement with their ex-partner? What would you tell them? Somebody's listening today. They know they don't have a lot of time to get the paperwork in.
2: Yeah.
1: They haven't been able to negotiate um, an agreeable parenting plan. What would be your suggestion?
2: My very unhelpful suggestion is keep trying because even not if unhelpful. you miss... Well, Mm -hmm. even if you miss the deadline, keep trying. Um, It's very, very common. I had one last Christmas season where the parents had filed a Christmas application. It happened that uh, while mum was the residential parent, it happened that that Christmas weekend fell on dad's time. So mum had no time. So she filed an application for her to have some carved out time uh, during the Christmas uh, weekend itself. The matter went to court. We were there. I think it was on the... Uh, 19th of December or something like that we were in court trying to get these orders done and outside the courtroom while we were waiting for our matter to be called on the parties negotiated an agreement so it's never too late so always continue trying to negotiate you may get there Um, and keep trying and if you don't actually get to that agreement if you're the parent who's not seeing them don't let that stop you from you know still buying the gifts for your child, still sending a card, still reaching out to your child to let them know you're thinking about them during this season. Can't wait to see them again when you can. Um, and try again next year. So it's it's always a tricky, sensitive time because of, you know, it's a festive season and people have traditions and holidays and things they like to do together. So it can be very painful when you don't have that child to celebrate with. Um, but don't give up and just keep trying to have that arrangement and continue working on your sort of, communication skills with the co-parent because yeah the only way to really get anywhere is unless you've got core orders is to try to improve that co-parenting communication and relationship and build that trust in baby steps so that you can continue to have this relationship with your child yeah and for the child i to think notice. what i would
1: what i might add to that would be even if it's not quite working out the way you would hope it is maybe you don't get to see your Children on Christmas Day or Boxing Day this year and it's the first time and it feels devastating. There's still an opportunity to create new traditions. You know, these are just dates in a calendar. You can still do a Christmas morning reveal on the 28th or, you know, you can yeah. create new traditions in your family that are flexible um so looking for those opportunities to still create magic and fun
0: absolutely um,
2: i absolutely love that idea and i think from a child's perspective the magic of it is still there they will grow up remembering that oh we! i remember we did this they never necessarily remember the exact date but they will remember oh when i was little we had you know this tradition at mom's house and this at dad's house yeah exactly days. so don't yeah. let the dates don't get hung up on the dates i think is a very good tip um and try to just get that time when you can. It's a bit like Valentine's Day, right? You don't wait till Valentine's Day to show love. You can do it any your time. love. That's so, right.
1: That's right. Yeah, <laughs> so
2: think of it that way <laughs> if you can, you know. Um
1: yeah. Agreed. All right, beautiful. Um, do you have a point of view on what is the best in class parenting arrangement?
2: The short answer is no, um, because it's different different for every family. You know, what what might work for one family may not work for another. So have a look at your own family. Look at what holidays are important to you. Um, It might not actually be the day. Your family traditions might involve Christmas Eve or Boxing Day. So have a look at your own family and then work from there. I think what does work well, obviously, is where children get a bit of both in terms of having some time with both families um some families will do a week about arrangement which means the week of christmas wherever they may be is where they have christmas and the parents try to make sure it alternates every year so that at least it's not always with one parent um that works for some families some families choose to have perhaps the eve and the day and then they do a handover later on christmas day so that the next parent has boxing day and the day after some parents will split christmas day itself and so they'll swap around who does christmas morning so and then they might do a handover around lunchtime so that way both parents especially with the younger ones i've seen that more commonly um because that joy on the child's face of opening presents first thing in the morning can be quite exquisite so they will swap that around so yeah it definitely depends on what works for your family what for your family sure. traditions are but there's no real best in class i think the best oh, in class is kids get oh. to see both that's what yeah yeah I mean.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I did an episode recently with um, a a lady called Sam who has a fantastic co-parenting arrangement with her ex-husband. They live a couple of streets away from each other. They have half week on off, but on Christmas morning and birthday mornings, the parent who isn't staying with the children the night before will come over to the other house to be there when the presents are opened. Oh, how good. It's so good. And even other partners will be involved, right? They've gone on to have other relationships. But just to know that the door is open, you know, they're welcome to come into this space, open the presents together, give them a kiss and a cuddle for birthday or Christmas, and then leave again. You know, I think that's just an admirable goal
2: absolutely i think that is the gold standard honestly um and obviously it's not possible for every family but i can only imagine from the child's perspective how wonderful that is um, yeah. i speak to so many children and i you know sometimes when i ask them my magic wand question which is if you had a magic wand what would you do and sometimes i've had them say i wish mom and dad would just get along or i could see both of them on my birthday and it sounds really simple but you know from a child's perspective that's all they really care about they don't necessarily know and they shouldn't know all the bad things that might have happened during the relationship why mom and dad didn't work out but they do want to know that they're loved by both of them by both parents and I think these little things help, you know, and then obviously as they get older, um, kids get really smart and they know that they can play one off the other. So it's really important that parents can at least present it. Rise somewhat united. That. Yeah, mm. well, somewhat united in the sense that you can't say, well, I can do this at mom's house because mom's or dad's going to go, well, let me just check with mom, And then that sort of washes that entirely. <laughs> so, um,
1: I have a whole tradition around, a whole <laughs> yeah. uh, belief around that, which is, well, what happens at dad's house happens at dad's house. That doesn't yeah. that doesn't affect what happens at mum's house. Like yes, right? we don't have true. ice cream every night. That can happen no. at dad's house. You can have ice cream for breakfast at dad's house. That's yeah. fine. That's his house.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good way to tackle that one, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like I don't
1: mind what happens there. That's great. Good for you that's at dad's fine. house. Yeah. Not here. <laughs> yeah. Um Listen, I think there's there's so much in this. I I do think it's really important. We were talking about. Trying to communicate, you know, um, and put aside our own feelings as much as we can in order to get the children the experiences that they might want to need at this time. So, being able to kind of shake off what upsets you about the the ex partner and stop being triggered by their words or their behaviors Mm -hmm. in order to put that child experience first. It's really important. Um, I really hope people get their arrangements in place. And if they need that court order, they submit the paperwork before November the 10th. Is there anything else you would want listeners to know about co-parenting in the lead up to this Christmas break, if they're listening to this episode in time?
2: I think just I'm gonna reiterate the communication aspect of things. That's really important. And I think we talk a lot about the Christmas break as just that Christmas holiday, but don't forget there's six whole weeks in this Mm. long period in Australia. Um, And so think about it from that perspective as well. You know, some people, that's the only time they have to take leave from work. And then that's the only time they may want to be traveling. Um, So be open to those things as well. I think we don't talk enough about travel arrangements, um, and it's not uncommon, or camping even, you know, it might sound pretty simple, but it's actually uh, the number of cases I see around being able to go camping. Um, So, you know, these are conversations to have, and have as soon as you can, if you're thinking of doing that this holiday season with your children. Start having those conversations with the other parent. Generally, from a court perspective, what the court would look at is that you give enough notice to the other party of your intention to travel. Um, you should be allowing, you know, as much information to go through as you're comfortable with. But particularly around where the child might be staying, how to contact the child while they're there. Um, you know, so if it's there, if they're staying at a particular hotel, you know, there's no necessarily no harm revealing that hotel and saying, well, we're going to be staying, you know, at this resort. These are the numbers. Um, you don't necessarily need to go obviously into the detail of the itinerary of the day. But if you are doing something like on this particular day, we're going water rapid, um, whatever, rafting, you know, we're doing yeah. that sort of stuff, yeah. rafting, that's the word. Um, then you, know, you might want to share that and say, look, on this day, we won't be contactable because we're going to go rafting. Um, but, you know, we'll call you after or, you know, that sort of thing. So a lot of it is to do with sort of just giving the other person enough notice, um, being open in the communication so that they can also allay any concerns they might have. Um, talk about those concerns if they are worried why are they worried what's what's bothering them about going on a trip Um, and you might find that it's actually something that you could manage like I'm worried you might not put a car seat on well don't worry here's the car seat we're fine you know so um, that's the level of communication that's expected and obviously as the parent on the other side who is um, we call them the consenting parent but really consent cannot be unreasonably withheld so if you have been provided sufficient notice and you know all the arrangements are Sound, you know where they're staying, you know the itinerary, and so on. There, there should not really be any reason why you're objecting to it. If it's purely on your own fear, then that's something that you might need to work on for yourself. But the port that's won't right. necessarily um, use that as an agree- uh, as a reason to prevent this travel from happening.
1: Yeah. Beautiful, Pfizer. Thank you so much for your help. If people um, have further questions or need to speak to you urgently, how can they find
2: you? Yes, so I'm at Lighthouse Legal, so feel free to reach us. We um, can find us online, you can give us a call, and happy to book in a complimentary 15-minute call with anybody who might need a bit of a tip where to go from here or obviously if they'd like to book in for a bit more time, uh, you can do that through our website or email me at info at
1: beautiful thank you Pfizer, and i'll put those details in the show notes too so that people can access that really quickly
2: you.
1: have a gorgeous day ahead and thank i look you. forward
0: to talking to you again soon
2: thank you thank you so much for having me on becca
0: thanks for listening i hope you took something of value out of this episode i'm your host becca maxwell and you can find me on the web at dodivorceright.com or on instagram at dodivorceright i look forward to connecting with you there